Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. All right, I want to welcome everyone back to the Alabama AgCast. This is Mike Moody with the Communications Department, and today we've got a very special guest with us, Mitt Walker, a Director of National Affairs, here to tell us some of the things going on in Washington and, and especially things that impact us here in Alabama and our farmers here in Alabama. So, Mitt, welcome to the podcast. I know this is not your first time or even 10th time, but <laughs> welcome back. Thank you, Mike. Good to be with you and uh, excited to kind of give a little bit of a recap of what's going on in Washington right now and what we expect moving forward. Um, I'll actually be in Washington when this airs this week, so uh, going to kind of check in on some of the moving parts that, that we'll talk about today. Wonderful, wonderful. Glad we've got you up there. Uh, so a lot has been happening in Washington if you've been paying any kind of attention to the news. Uh, what's coming up that uh, that our farmers, that Alabama, needs to uh, be paying attention to? So there's four things that have really been driving the conversation over the past few weeks. Um, those are things like the continuing resolution that actually was, was passed last week, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, we have what's called the debt ceiling coming up sometime in mid-October. Um, that is essentially when we reach our borrowing limit as a country. Con- Congress has to authorize um, an expansion or an extension of, of that debt ceiling. And then there's two very different infrastructure bills that are being discussed right now. Um, last week was the original deadline to try to get those two bills um through Congress, and it looks like that deadline's going to move toward the end of this month now. So a lot of posturing, a lot of negotiating left to do on those two bills. Sounds like Washington. Uh, so you you mentioned the continuing resolution that Congress just passed. What is a continuing resolution, and what is the impact to our farmers here in Alabama? So a continuing resolution, Mike, is effectively Congress saying, hey, we're going to kind of step back and punt. Um, There's been a lot of partisan politics driving the conversation. Normally, in a given year, by the time we reach September 30th, Congress should have already approved the spending levels for the following year. So each of the the committees sit down and meet. There's there's typically 12 separate spending bills that are approved. Um, We didn't make it this year. And, and that's not uncommon. I think if you look back over the last last really couple of decades, you, you see more CRs than you do. Uh, and when I say CR, obviously, I mean continuing resolution. You see that probably more times than, than not. Um, so that, that bill was passed last week. Um, it does basically approve funding for the government through December the 3rd. So we will now see kind of a flurry of activity leading up till December trying to get those appropriations bills completed. What this means now is basically those, whether it's defense or or other portions of the government funding will be there. It's basically the status quo move forward from last year, but there were a couple of things added. One of them in particular for our farmers, um, I think they will be glad to see that there's about $10 billion included for disaster relief. So last year we had Hurricane Sally, Hurricane Zeta in particular in Alabama that caused some crop damage. This year we've had an extremely wet growing season and now harvest season, and there was no disaster relief in place for those two years, 20 and 21. 
So this $10 billion will basically authorize USDA to extend the WIP Plus program that kind of came about after Hurricane Michael in 2018. So we do now at least have a disaster program in place to respond to some of those needs there. And again, that was included in the continuing resolution. That's outstanding because we're, we're not out of the hurricane season yet. So fingers crossed we won't have any any more major uh, disasters or damages like that. So Yeah, and one of the things, Mike, on that, this particular extension, one thing that was added to the WIP program was a, a qualifier that, that we call excessive moisture. Um, when you think about disasters, sometimes you think about things like a hurricane, a Hurricane Michael, you know, um, Hurricane Ida that came through the Louisiana area this year. Sometimes disaster can be more of a long, drawn-out process. So, like I said a while ago, we've had a really, really wet growing season, and now that we've got crops mature, they're ready to come out of the field. It's too wet to do any field work right now, so we're dealing with, with issues like quality loss on cotton when you have seeds sprouting in the cotton bowls. Um, all kinds of issues there. So the WIP program does cover two things that would be excessive moisture, and it does also cover quality loss issues. So hopefully that $10 billion will be there to help some of our guys kind of weather this latest disaster that they're dealing with. I hope so. I know they're they're going to need it. Well, you mentioned uh, a debt ceiling. Uh, what uh, For our listeners, what is a debt ceiling and, and why do they need to care about it? Yeah, Mike, it's, you know, the debt ceiling, it's almost like your your credit limit on a credit card, for lack of a better explanation. Um, it is essentially the level that our nation is able to borrow as a country. Congress has to authorize that level. And um, if you look back over the years, I think we have reached that level almost 80 times. And each of those times, the borrowing limit has been raised. So um, we're facing that again. This time, um, the politics are a little differently. Um, normally in the past, um, a lot of cases you've seen more of a bipartisan approach to come together, raise the debt limit, and kind of keep government funded and keep moving forward. Um, at this point, the Republicans have drawn a line in the sand and basically looked at the Democrats and said, hey, you've got control of the House. You've got control of the Senate, and you've got control of the White House. If y'all want to raise the debt ceiling, figure out how to do it, and we're going to sit back and watch. And that's kind of where we stand today. It would take the Senate 60 votes to pass um, a debt ceiling increase unless they choose to do it through reconciliation. And we'll talk a little more about what reconciliation means later. But right now, the Republicans have decided to kind of leave that ball in the Democrats' court, and um, they are working through what that process may look like um, this week, actually. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting discussion as we go along to see if the uh, Republicans end up weighing in or just watching from the sidelines. Uh, kind of the biggest news, I think, going around D.C. is the uh, the infrastructure bills, the two infrastructure bills. Uh, what uh, w What's happening with those and, and why are they so closely connected to each other? Well, reality is the bills attack or approach two very different things, but due to politics, they've kind of been married together as one. And um, the first one is, is kind of being referred to as the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and it is true infrastructure. It's, it's what we think about um, roads, bridges, ports, um, those types of activities that the government funds to invest in the infrastructure of our country. The second one is the $3.5 trillion bill that I know everybody's seen a lot of coverage on on the news lately. 
it is more of a I guess a policy bill, it would bring forward a lot of the policies that the administration would like to see implemented in the country. Um, it has a huge, huge price tag to it. And what has happened is the more progressive wing of the Democrat Party has said, look, we're not going to support this bipartisan bill until we've got a commitment we can move forward with the $3.5 trillion in spending because that contains a lot of the more progressive priorities. The moderates, on the other hand, and again, the moderate Democrats have said, we really want to get this infrastructure bill through, but we can't support a $3.5 trillion price tag. So senators like Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Kristen Sinema from Arizona, have kind of drawn their line in the sand to say, look, you're going to have to bring that number down or we're not going to support this moving forward. So Speaker Pelosi, uh, Leader Schumer, they've kind of got their hands full right now trying to get their party on the same page. It's kind of interesting to watch for, for folks that have followed politics for a number of years. Um, 10, 12 years ago, when the Tea Party kind of come into play in the Republican Party, they kind of fought some of these same battles where you had an, kind of a, a really right wing of the Republican Party making demands, much like the progressive wing of the Democrat Party is now making demands, and leadership is really struggling with trying to figure out how to move these, these pieces of legislation forward. Wow, this is kind of from a Politico standpoint. This is kind of fascinating, I would think, to to kind of watch this unfold. Yeah, it is a very different dynamic. Um, you know, the the players that are, are really driving the the Democrat agenda now are the more vocal members. They're certainly not the majority of the Democrat Party, but they are the most vocal, and um, they're applying pressure to try to get their priorities through. Um, I think ultimately, what's going to happen, Mike, is. Um, that three and a half trillion dollar number is probably going to have to move downward quite a bit. I think President Biden has started to signal that you know, hey, we may be, may not get to that three and a half trillion dollar mark, but we will see. It's anybody's guess at this point, but it is certainly a um, interesting process. And and one of the reasons that I think that this is such a different piece of legislation, they're using the reconciliation process to bring it forward. Reconciliation is a, a, a way to move legislation through with a simple majority in the Senate, and um, you know it, it's a little more complicated than that. In fact, why don't we kind of take a break here and kind of walk our um, listeners through what is a reconciliation I was, bill? I, I was just going to suggest that because this is a perfect time for a break, and uh, on, the, on the other side, we'll we'll figure out what this whole reconciliation is and how we need to be paying attention to it. It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit, and while some don't get it, we do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. Welcome back to the Alabama AgCast. Uh, we've got Mitt Walker here, National Affairs Director, and uh, we were talking before the break, Mitt, about reconciliation. Tell us more about how reconciliation works in Washington. Thank you, Mike. So reconciliation, um, or budget reconciliation is probably the more appropriate term, is a process that can be used to move legislation through. Um, what is um, important about that in particular this year is a reconciliation bill only requ requires 50 votes to pass the Senate as opposed to the normal threshold of 60. 
Um, as y'all know, the the Senate is evenly split at 50-50 right now with the vice president being the tiebreaker. So getting to 60 votes is a very difficult proposition on any piece of legislation, much less something um, as unique as a $3.5 trillion spending plan. Um, so the Democrat leadership has chosen reconciliation as the path forward for this bill. However, there are some rules that come into play with a reconciliation bill. So they basically have to prove that any of the provisions that are provided in that legislation has a meaningful impact on the budget. So to kind of walk our listeners through what happens in that, so the budget committee basically gives the other committees in Congress instructions to say, hey, we're going to set up spending at this level. You go figure out how to spend X amount of dollars in these various committees come back to us with a report on how you would spend that money, and then we'll put that together in one big piece of legislation. There's also a component to that where the Ways and Means Committee, which is in charge of taxation, has to account for at least partially offset some of that spending. Um, So that is where we were really following closely what may happen with the tax code moving forward in this piece of legislation. So as all of that comes together, Once they get a final negotiated package, then it's a simple up or down vote in the Senate, up or down vote in the House. And again, the Senate could theoretically move this with only 50 votes or 51 votes with a tiebreaker by the vice president. Right now, there are two Democrats at least that are holding out, um, wanting to bring that level down. So um, if you look back historically, reconciliation has been used for some of the administration's kind of big ticket items, if you will. Obamacare, when it was approved under President Obama, reconciliation was the vehicle used for that. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act um, in the last administration, President Trump's kind of landmark legislation, that was also done through reconciliation. So it's it's kind of an avenue that a lot of times the White House will look at Congress and say, hey, this is a big deal for us at the administration. We want you to make sure you get it through by using this slightly different technique to navigate Congress. What you're saying, running through the different committees and everything, it's not just <clears throat> a an automatic slam dunk. They've, they've still got to adhere to some guidelines before they can you know, before they can get the uh, the nod to, to put it forward to a vote, right? Right. And, and a good example of that, um, in this particular piece of legislation, there was some language in there dealing with immigration policy. And um, the Senate parliamentarian ultimately ruled that that did not have a true impact on the budget. That was more of a policy decision, not so much a budgetary consideration. So the parliamentarian actually struck that language and said, hey, you can't include that here because it does not meet the requirements of moving through reconciliation. Right, right. Still still have to play by the rules. Yeah. As we start wrapping up today, our farmers are looking at the nation's capital. What should they be paying attention to as we uh, as we start entering, you know, the end of the year? Yeah, so um, you know, we'll we'll stick on the reconciliation bill. Um, you know, as we move through the next month or so, I'm still trying to figure out how that unfolds. I will say, and I mentioned the Ways and Means Committee coming forward with with tax provisions in order to offset some of the spending. We did kind of dodge a bullet up to this point. One of the things that we were very much concerned about was the elimination of stepped-up basis for farmers, and um, we've talked about that in previous um, AgCast, but basically it's a way to kind of reset the land value. If you inherit it from your parents or your grandparents, you would be able to reset that that 
value of that property so that if you sold it, you would only pay capital gains based on what had appreciated from the time you inherited, not going back multiple generations. That's an extremely important provision for our farmers. You can imagine when you're in four or five generations owning a piece of land, you know, just the just going back and trying to put a value on that would be very mm-hmm. difficult, much less the tax burden that would be due. But in the, the reconciliation bill, there is a plan to lower the state tax exemption levels. We were not um, happy to see that at all. Um, it would have an impact on our folks. And there's also some other proposals that would increase capital gains tax rates. So um, that is a way to offset some of that spending. But at the same time, there is about $28 billion in new spending for agricultural programs in the larger bill. If it were to survive you know, to final passage, Virtually all of that money would be invested in the conservation programs that are currently administered by USDA. Really nothing in there for for production ag, so to speak. This is more of a a conservation play, Um, but definitely something to keep an eye on. I think, you know, most of that changes quite a bit before the, the year is out for sure. But the next few weeks are going to be pivotal in in what ultimately kind of shapes the the end of this Congress and and sets the agenda even going into next year. Mm -hmm. Well, that's some fascinating stuff, Mitt. Uh, Just so much going on. And and again, I think we're so grateful that uh, you and your team are keeping us informed. And I'm sure the one thing that is on everybody's mind that we haven't talked about that maybe they haven't heard about is this cow tax. I have to do this, of course. Any movement on that, (laughs) uh, Mitt? Well, thank you, Mike, and uh, I appreciate you teeing that up. I think this is an opportunity to kind of talk about what I have referred to as as some of the the boogeymen out there. Um, There's been a lot of rumors flying around this year with what regulatory changes may be coming down the pike, what's going to affect farmers. There is language in this reconciliation bill that would impose a methane fee on the oil and gas industry. Thankfully, agriculture is exempted from any methane reporting, so I think there was an attempt to extrapolate some of those numbers that would affect the oil and gas industry and say, well, if it applied here, what if you applied it on a beef cow? What if you applied that to a dairy cow? What if it was applied to a pig? And there were some numbers that kind of circulated in this what-if scenario, and unfortunately, that caught fire on social media over the past couple of weeks, but um, I'm here today to tell our listeners that, you know, thankfully this this bill, as bad as it is in, in many retrospects, does not include a cow tax. Um, it would be uh, a fee that could potentially be imposed on the oil and gas industry. Now, that could be problematic for the agriculture industry in and of itself when you think about fuel cost, when you think about fertilizer, all of those things that, that depend on the oil and gas industry, but a tax on individual head of cattle is nothing that's moving forward right now. Again, agriculture is specifically exempted from any type of methane reporting. So, well, Thank goodness for that. I hope they continue to uh, overlook it. <laughs> yeah, and that's not to say that that or something even worse than that may not come down the pike at some point. And that's the reason we always have to be diligent here. We have to keep an eye on what's moving. But 
in this particular case, I'm very thankful to tell you that you don't have to worry about the cow tax today. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, uh, again, uh, we, we've had Mitt Walker, our national affairs director here, who's do, who, who does a great job. Uh, in fact, he's leaving this afternoon to head back up to D.C., as he said earlier, to uh, keep an eye on things for us. And maybe we'll just get you back in here uh, at uh, uh, when, does, when does Congress break? It's kind of up in the air. All of these things are kind of left unsettled. Normally, they try to wrap up by the Christmas holidays, but um, we have seen years that um, when you get into these funding deadlines and things that they've had to work essentially through Christmas, and we've had some New Year's Eve votes before that we've had mm-hmm. to follow, so um, not the way that I want to bring in this new year for sure, but that's certainly <laughs> Absolutely. a possibility. Absolutely. Well, Mitt, thanks again for all you do, and uh, thank all of our listeners for uh, staying in tune, and we'll see you next time on the AgCast. Thank you, Mike. And now, your weekly AgCast wrap-up. Welcome to this week's AgCast wrap-up. This is Carla Hornady, Commodity Director at the Alabama Farmers Federation and Sunbelt Ag Expo board member. I am excited that after the setbacks the COVID-19 pandemic inflicted on the Sunbelt Ag Expo in 2020, we will be live and in person in Moultrie, Georgia, October 19th through the 21st of 2021. For over 40 years, the Sunbelt Ag Expo has been providing hands-on opportunities for their exhibitors and visitors to participate in. The 100-plus acre exhibit area and 600-acre research farm sparks a variety of interest visitors can look forward to all year long. The experiences are second to none and create memories lasting much longer than the three days spent at Expo. We wish the best of luck to Thomas Ellis and his wife, Melissa. Thomas, a third-generation Lowndes County farmer, will represent Alabama in the Sunbelt Ag Expo Swisher Sweets Southeastern Farmer of the Year Contest. The winner will be announced October 19th at the Expo. To order tickets or get more information, visit sunbeltagexpo.com. A link will be placed in today's show notes. Thank you for joining us. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCraft. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.